Welcome to a very special episode of the Alt Rock Podcast. Joining me on the other line, my partner in crime, Bruce Deerbeck, who joined me for a previous Counting Crows pod, and also joining us on the line for the, our first a three-person pod ever, uh, I believe joining us from snowy Los Angeles. Is that right, Mickey Fisher? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, Walker sent it to be specific, but yeah, a couple of days ago, I, uh, I had to, I was like, it was like a little Milwaukee over here by the snow. I made a, I made like a six inch snowman. Uh, it was great. That's good. It, it, you know, if only it could arrive maybe around Christmas time, I think it probably would have been a little more welcome in your neck of the woods. How yeah, many sure. how many homework movies do you think were filmed like that six hours that it snowed? Yeah, during that, I'm sure like they got out there and <laughs> yeah, but you know, was a, that was all, all the fake uh, all the props people in the set dressing and you know like all those people who did the fake snow they were so probably so mad they wasted all that yeah. time. <laughs> so we've really got a star studded podcast for you for for everyone, um, Bruce. I know you you know you were connected to the movies back in the '90s. I know you were connected with the Scream franchise a little bit. Uh, I'll come back to you in a second, but Mickey, uh, joining us from snowy LA, you are a Hollywood screenwriter. You worked with Steven Spielberg. You've done a couple of CBS shows. Uh, would just love to hear kind of what you're, what, what are you up to right now? Yeah, sure. I I mean, when you and I first crossed paths, we were working together on, on a a campaign for this thing, uh, the the Can-Am Spider three wheel motorcycle, two wheels in the front, one in the back. It was before I became uh, a working writer before I sold my first script. That was like the best job I ever had. Um, but that ended in 2012 and I was living here in California and I was trying to break into television film. I wrote uh, a spec TV pilot called extant that was, um, ultimately like picked up by Amblin television and Steven Spielberg. Uh, it was, it, it, aired on CBS for two seasons starring Halle Berry. And I created a second show called Reverie that was on NBC for a season. Um, and I, and ever since then, I've just had a chance to work on a bunch of really fun stuff. I, I worked on the show, the final season of a show called the strain, uh, that was on FX, Guillermo del Toro and Carlton Cuse, Chuck Hogan. Uh, and probably, I would say the thing that most people probably know that I've worked on is I was, I worked for a couple of months on season two of Jack Ryan on Amazon. Like I went and helped out with that. Um, and it's funny because it's the thing that most people ask me about because, you know, people are like, well, have you seen anything? Well, that, that Amazon audience is massive. I know you're talking it's about tens and it's a really millions popular of people. Show. Yeah. But they, but I only worked on it for two months, so I'm going to feel a little like funny talking about it because I, I was really just came in to help out when they were in a crunch and needed, uh, you know, extra hands in the writer's room. But, um, but yeah, so I've been really lucky. So now I'm just like back to pitching new things and, and um, I'm supervising a pilot that was uh, in contention at NBC um, this year. And so, yeah, just writing a bunch of new stuff and really just trying to keep, keep those plates spinning. Have you considered a show about dragons? <laughs> <laughs> if only I wish I'd come up with that show about dragons. Um, so I think yeah. we have the perfect group here because we're going to talk about the, the uh, counting crows, Cro- counting crows album, this desert life in a minute. And, there's a bunch of stuff I want to get into, especially lyrically, but it's a very cinematic album from the storytelling yeah. uh, to the imagery and all that. So I'm excited to get into that. But Bruce, I, I'd love to uh, rem- take us back to the 90s and what it was like working, uh, helping out in Hollywood at that time or with <laughs> Hollywood actors, I should say. Yeah, so this was this was hilarious because back in the '90s, mid '90s, I was you know in college um, way back then, and the internet was still in its infancy. So I um, was lucky enough to um, I created this website for Matthew Lillard, um, uh, actor in the Scream film Scooby Doo. Um, I just joined um, Blumhouse um, 
is putting out of um, Five Nights at Freddy's. So um, I decided to just, hey, I want to get into like making websites and I love movies. So I'm like, I'm going to do a website for him after I saw Scream um, and just kind of a fun passion project. And like all of his, you know, friends and family saw it and basically connected me um, to him. And like I did his website for seven, eight, nine years. That's amazing. Um, and and cool so it was, it was a blast. So got to, got to know him really well and we you know, still keep in touch and everything. And at the same time, I was also doing, um, I was co-running the website for the, the Halloween film series. Um, so, you know, it's just kind of a fun way to stay connected because I was writing screenplays on the side and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, so, yeah, so the, the, the 90s is like, you know, anytime you're in your 20s, that's kind of your heyday anyways. And for me, like <laughs> with movies and all that coming together and all this music and pop culture, it was like right in my sweet spot. So I definitely you know this from Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. Yeah. So it was just it was kind of my way to kind of get, you know, get connected out there and stay connected. And, you know, I was lucky enough. Everyone was so cool, like very nice, like you know, flew me out to some of the, the you know, premieres and parties to be able to actually meet some of the people then that, you know, I was, I was writing about. So it was a blast. So for me, this has been like one of those nostalgia trips back in time, you know, back in my hay. So it, one I more day up in this. the canyons for you. Exactly. So, so to yeah. speak. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that that's the perfect segue. Um, I, I have no uh, Hollywood connection other than uh, I was a newspaper reporter at my first job out of school and I actually got to meet and interview Harrison Ford one on one. So that's nice. probably my, that, that was all of five minutes. How intimidating! Like how intimidating said. Like, was that? I, I like to I like to mention it a lot, even though it was a very <laughs> very short part of my life, like literally five minutes. Um, it was great. It was in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, of all places, because they it becomes the world's busiest airport for a week in the summer. And if you know a little bit about uh, Harrison or Harry, as I call him now, uh, on a first name basis, you know, he's really into airplanes and like classic airplanes. So he had flown in and he was like, giving a speech to the young pilots program. Um, so I just, you know, I was all of 23 years old, which probably helped me a lot at the time. I just said, you know, excuse me, Mr. Ford, I'm with the local newspaper here. Do you have a few minutes? And he said, yes. You know, he's surrounded by like a big entourage or whatever, obviously. But I always really appreciated that. Um because George Lucas was at the same event, but he did no press. He was always behind a rope, but you could not get to him. He was not doing interviews, but Harrison, man of the people, was really cool. Hmm. Did you ask him about like the planes and the flying and stuff? Was it just, like, or, or mostly the movies, which like which area? Oh, it was a, I, I was trying to, it was a hundred percent like about the planes. I didn't yeah. get into any, uh, any kind of like Hollywood or, or movie kind of talk. I just. Wanted to talk about, uh, yeah, wh- why he was there and all that. And he's really passionate about it. So that made it. I was going to say, it's probably the best way to do it, though, right? Because that's yeah. like his passion. It's the thing that like, probably not a lot of people the last are thing, about. Yeah. So. The last thing he wants is probably another Indiana Jones question right. or something. Right? <laughs> Remember that time? Yeah. When you were <laughs> what was it like? Was that Boulder real? <laughs> I'm picturing Rob like Chris Farley in that sketch now. He's like, do you remember the time? Yeah. That was awesome. And like the entire interview was just, that was know? awesome. Yeah. <laughs> So let's uh, let's hop into to this desert life. I would love, um, you know, Bruce and I, we got into it quite a bit and it's kind of a fun story. I know, Mickey, that's where you jumped in, listened. And, you know, you had this great anecdote about Mrs. Potter's lullaby that we'll get to. But one of the points I made very, very early on with Bruce was that no matter what genres of music my friends like, whether it's a jam band, whether it's country, whether it's rock. It's like, for whatever reason, we can all kind of coalesce around Counting Crows. 
Yeah. So I'd love to hear your story about how did you, you know, Desert Life or not, like how did you discover the band? How did you wind up getting into them? What spoke to you? Well, it's so funny when I was listening to you guys talk about it. And, and so I'm a little bit older and you were talking about like the cool kids in college who were listening to the kind of crows. Like that was me. Yeah. So I like, you were the cool kid. <laughs> like August came out in between, uh, it came out in the fall of my senior year, but that summer all leading up to it, you know, Mr. Jones was playing around here was playing. And, uh, and so I, I remember both of those were on heavy rotation before the album came out. And my friend, Steve Colella and I, we took this vacation down to uh, Phoenix with his dad right before school started up again. And we were just playing those songs over and over. And I, I'll, I'll never forget his dad making fun of Adam's voice, like singing, uh, uh, like singing around here. Where, and she's nervous. Like he would kind of like do that over and over again. Like that was his bit because we were listening to it so much. Uh, and then when Rick came out, I went crazy for it and, and just listened to it a ton. And, and it became like, um, you know, just like a constant companion for those next few years. And same thing with like recovering the satellites it came out just as I had moved to New York and it became the thing that I was listening to on my headphones, walking around the city. It was the soundtrack to my, you know, early twenties in New York city. And, you know, kind of Bruce, what you're saying, it's like it going back and listening to these things now, or anytime that I listen to them, it just reconnects me with the person that I was then. It's like there, it's, you know, the, how music is a time machine that way. Um, but it also speaks to you differently, the older that you get. And so, yeah. oh, um, especially so by the time yeah. this desert life came around, I was a, I was a huge hardcore fan of it and I'd listened to the live stuff that had come out in between. And uh, so I was, I was primed to love it and it didn't disappoint. It was like, I mean, it, it blew me away from the, from the opening track. And it's, it's, it's one of my favorites. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this too, but I really feel like it's almost, it's hard for me to pick a favorite album because there are, you know, four or five of them. They're all are consistently like depending on the day or the mood. Yep. <laughs> we'll just yep. be like, that's the one I love the most or there are certain songs in it. So um, but, th- but I'm so excited to talk about this thing because I do think it's such a special record and, and, and underrated, I think, in some ways. That, Mickey, that's relatable just in the fact that, like, because I was very, like, neurotic about, like, in this one, I'm probably going to say, oh, no, this is actually my favorite song off the album. And I'm going to contradict what I said on the previous episode <laughs> because it really is. It depends on and, and we just recorded that episode a couple of weeks ago. It really does depend on the day and the mood that you're in and you latch on to different songs at different times. So it's so relatable. <laughs> Yeah, you're not the yeah, same person was, you were yesterday, right? No, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I remember we were debating Bruce about what our favorite album was, and we both decided <laughs> on Hard Candy. And then literally it was like the next day I was listening to this desert life and I'm like, I may have to like go re-record that part of the pod. <laughs> to me, this is clearly uh clearly the best. But I think I think maybe because there's like two or three skips on Hard Candy, and there's I mean, there's some spectacular highlights that we covered, but for me, this desert life, this, this is crazy considering this band also put out August and everything after, but I feel like this is their most complete work, at least for me. And what's most important about this album to me is the journey I've been on with it. So kind of what you were saying, Mickey too, about how it means different things to you at different points in your life. And I think that's really what like the meaning of timeless is. So to me, this is timeless because I'd say in the year of our Lord, 2023 here, like this desert life is speaking to me mm. if, as much or more than it ever has. And I've really grown with it because I remember I had, I have to be honest, like I was 14 when this album came out and I was a little bit disappointed. Um, it, you know, I loved uh, recovering the satellites and had gotten gone retro retroactively into August and everything after, but whatever reason I, I loved hanging around from the beginning and Mrs. Potter's. I always looked at those first two tracks as like, I've always loved those, but the rest of the album, I just really did not connect with. 
And in fact, I'm eager to, when we get to the track list portion, cause I'll point it out at that time, but there are two songs. If you would ask me and, you know, in my teens, what are your two least favorite counting crow songs? They would have both come from this album. Wow. And now I would say they're in my top 10 counting crow songs hmm. and top five. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about those tracks and how they've gone from like, this is my least favorite counting crow song to like, this is a top 10 counting crow song over the last 20 years. So for me, this album just really stands out in that regard. That's awesome. So I want to jump into it. Um, I'll, I'll start and then we can do We'll just go around the room, but obviously hanging around was the lead single off of this. And it's so infectious. Like that word just keeps coming to me. And I love all the little things that they did in the studio with it. Like even at the end when he's kind of playing the wrong notes on the piano and you can hear everyone <laughs> in the background and it's very clear that they held like a, a pretty big party in the recording studio doing this. And Although I love so much of the Counting Crows music, I don't think the word joyful is used very often when describing, yeah. you know, even some of my favorite tracks. But this one certainly is. I think it was a great lead single. It's a great way to start an album. It's one of those that even was even though it was honest, it was a single and on the radio nonstop. I'm not sick of it to this day. Like I'll I don't skip and start with Mrs. Potter's or anything like that. Like I'm in for hanging around. And talk about the little memories and how you kind of score your life. I remember driving home with my best friend uh, from high school. And he had, you know, and these are the days when you really like outfitted your car with like <laughs> insane speakers, especially <laughs> when you were a 15 or 16 year old boy or whatever. Uh, and I just remember like almost going deaf in one ear. My ear was ringing like the entire next day because when hanging around came on the radio, we're like, we got to test this thing out. The hanging around is ingrained in my life and in my ears. Yeah, no, I I love that. It's it's such a fun song, and and the way to kick it off. It's for me. I kind of equate this song as if we're going to stick with the movie theme. It's it's kind of the the Wooderson from Days and Confused of songs because like you know in, in here it's it's you know how you know time moves on you know even though you and your life doesn't you know it's like the same parties, same friends, rinse and repeat, you know, uh, kind of thing. And and so for me, like I love that. It's it's a fun song, whereas usually and actually in some of the other songs that follow he would have taken a more introspective turn you know on this and in here it's like nope i'm celebrating that right now i'm just living in the now because i'm still young and i can make changes in my life down the road i'm just gonna enjoy it now and so i love that we just kick off with that feeling knowing that we'll we'll go through some you know we'll go through some torturous struggles later on but right now oh, the, we're living there's in the quite now a few and, coming on this track exactly <laughs> it's like it's just it's so for me i'm like there's no hurry let's just you know let's have some fun and i think it's a great way to kick it off I, to, what, uh, there are two things I love that I think about first of all, it's just like, one it just feels like, like rowdy, you know, like from that yeah. opening beat and there are people, it does feel like it's like a living room party kind of thing. And it feels like coming off of like satellites was so polished and such a great rocker. But it was, but, and it felt so, um, you know, like I hate to say clean because it's not, not necessarily like there's a lot of, you know, I think grit and edge to that too, but like from the opening beats of that, drum kit, people yelling and things like that. It just feels like it, there is a, it, it is more fun and sort of more joyful and that too. But once you get into the lyrics, there is something that I feel like is thematic. That's really interesting. That kind of carries through the rest of the album, which I didn't even think I really thought about much until I did the, you know, a lot of these re-listens and how much it comes up, which is just like repeating those patterns. Right. And you get stuck in these grooves in your life and you're doing the same thing over and over again. And, 
Uh, and sometimes that can be great and that can be fun and that can be really pleasurable. Uh, but then at a certain point, it's you spiral out of that and then it becomes like, uh, it, it becomes draining too, or, you know, and that sort of thing. And so I think like, this is the really fun section of it. And, uh, and it's also one of those, to me, I just love it too, because I, I always love hearing this live because it's just such a great, yeah, it's live a great song staple. They always there. kill it. And people are always like super happy to hear it. Um, but it's great. And I also feel like I, just on that thematic point too, one of the things I always loved about it is that it definitely feels like, you know, August is there's this like, you know, this, this character who he is or who, you know, whoever Adam is at heart, his, you know, this sort of blend of the real him and the mythological him, which is searching for something, right. And searching for like fame. You think about Mr. Jones, I'm wanting to be a rock star. I'm, I'm wanting all this stuff and desiring it. And then satellites feels like you get that. And then there's this reaction to that, you know, having to like come to terms with that and who am I, you know, like, and, mm-hmm. and all the ways it starts to disassemble you. And then this album feels a lot like, okay, so is this it? <laughs> like, is this all there is? And what's on the other side of that? And so I think that there, it's like, it's, it's super cool to see him sort of go through that progression. Um, it's me, it's my inter- interpretation of that, but it feels like there's a lot of that on this record that starts in this song. And I, I think we can all pick out a favorite lyric from from all the songs. Um, but I just love, you know, a lot of them are, are more serious. But I just love, uh, we spend all day getting sober, just hiding from daylight, watching TV. We just look a lot better in the blue light. Like, <laughs> to me, that kind of describes my my college days. And I remember yeah. listening to this in college. Like, we've all been there, right? Like, I love that that imagery of hiding from daylight and, and watching TV and Kind of uh, at that point, you're kind of looking better in the blue light than you would in the in the harsh light of day, and kind of really really uh, struck a chord in those days. Um, I feel like we need like a dramatic drum roll or second or, or for this next song, but um, been thinking a lot about this since our last Counting Crows pod, and not only is this my favorite Counting Crows song, but like I've been thinking a lot about kind of doing a, you know, some different lists and podcasts at the end of the year and, and really trying to dig into like, what are my top 10 favorite songs of all time, regardless if they were ever a single, regardless if I think other people have heard of them. Um, and I know I, I know I can easily start building out that list because Mrs. Potter's lullaby will be in there. To me, this isn't just the best counting crow song. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Um, and it works on so many levels. Like, if I just read the, if you just put this, this text in front of me, I would be like, well, I guess I'm into poetry now. Like, who is this? (laughs) I want to read more of what they've written. Um, and to, and man, it's one of the, it's a seven minute song that feels like it goes by in three and a half minutes, which is really tough to do. And it just keeps building and building and building. And I I mean, I just have to read, I I just have to read a couple of these lines and and then I'll seed the floor before. And, you know, kind of stop myself from gushing, but uh, <laughs> if dreams are like movies, there's our movie theme. If dreams yep. are like movies, then memories are films about ghosts. You can never escape. You can only move south down the coast. I, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. Like I get chills every yeah. time just reading that and then, and then hearing it in the song. Um, it's just absolutely incredible. I, I also dig that. Yeah, there's lots of callbacks always throughout his songs, whether it's people or whatever else. But just that line gets a callback as the title of their greatest hits album, you know, a few years later, you know, films about ghosts. And Mm -hmm. like when I was thinking about it more and more, I'm like, I love that as a title, you know, because there are some huge songs on that greatest hits 
um, compilation. So they're acknowledging there's no escaping those songs. You know, you can't try to outdo Mr. Jones and all these others. So just move on and focus only on doing more songs. So I kind of like how they took that lyric and what the lyric kind of means and spun that off into the title of their greatest hits. And so for me, yeah. I'm like, that's, I, I latch onto that now for a very different reason. And, than and he's got, first heard this. <laughs> and Maria's in this song who yep, appears Maria. throughout multiple albums, yep. love the storytelling aspect. And just one more line. I mean, I really yeah. could just read the whole song, but so I throw my hand into the air and it swims in the beams. It's just a brief interruption of the swirling dust sparkle jet stream. And like Mickey is a screenwriter, like, can't you just see like writing like swirling dust sparkle jet stream? And it's just like this incredible imagery that's just in this gorgeous seven minute piano ballad. I don't know how else to put it. No, I, I love the, uh, that imagery and it hundred percent is very cinematic. I always think of like one of the songs I always talk about that you could easily just take those lyrics and you could put them in the description of a script and, and the actors would know how to act it the director would know how to shoot it. The DP would know how to light it. And the example I always use is um, Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen. Cause that opening lyric screen door slams, mm-hmm. Mary's dress waves like a vision. She dances across the porch while the radio plays mm-hmm. like you could shoot that. And it would be, you know, that's a beautiful scene. And this is exactly that same kind of thing. I feel like if you gave that to a, a film crew, they would know exactly how to shoot this. Um, it's funny though, that you talk about like the cinematic aspect of it and that lyric being films about ghosts which part of the, you know, the origin story for this song is that he was inspired uh, to write this about Monica Potter after watching Patch Adams, yeah. which I think this <laughs> might be like, <laughs> this is the best thing to come out of Patch Adams like, by yeah, far. Exactly. <laughs> Un- unforeseen byproduct of Patch Adams is this beautiful seven minute magnum opus to Monica Potter. So Mickey, we kind of connected and wanted you to have you come on the pod because there's another line in here that even as a a hardcore Counting Crows fan and and claiming this is one of my favorite songs, when he says we stand up in the palace, like it's the last of the great pioneer town bars, it never occurred to me. And I don't know why this is that the palace is an actual place in a place called pioneer town. Is that that right? So this is so crazy because I, I had the same thing. I for for the longest time I just thought it was part of the mythology. You know, I thought it was like there was some, it it was a thing, a you know, an idea of something or like a symbol of something. But I was early last year, at some point in the last year or so, my girlfriend and I decided to drive out to this place called Pioneer Town because I I don't know that came across my feed. They have a little ranch there. It was an old Western movie studio that was built by Roy Rogers and Dale Evans, and there's like a little. Uh, kind of ranch style motel now that that used to be the uh, rooms for all the visiting crew and the actors who were there. And so we're like, we got to go out there. I really want to go to the desert. I want to go to Joshua tree. And so on the drive out there that day, I'm singing this song in my head because there's the other lyric in there. Like we, you know, we, we drive out to the desert to sleep beneath this bowl of stars. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's part of that was going through my head. And then I'm like thinking through it and I'm like, can we stand up in the palace? Like it's the last great pioneer town bars. And I'm thinking about Pioneer Town. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, I'm going to Pioneer Town. It's in the desert. This desert life. It's <laughs> all slowly connected <laughs> to the parking lot. And we're staying at the hotel. You pull into the parking lot, and there's the building. Before you get to the hotel, it's Pappy and Harriet's Palace. And I was like, oh my God, this is a real place. And of course, these guys have played here. Like, and it's a famous music venue that, you know, Paul McCartney and Sting and all these people have played out over the years. David Bowie, I think. Um, and so I, as soon as we checked in, I jumped online and started looking it up and, and, and researching this place. And, and uh, so it was cool. So this Desert Life kind of became the, uh, the soundtrack for that weekend again, too, because we were listening to all those, you know, all those songs and thinking like, oh, oh like, this is like <laughs> this inspired some of that song, which is so cool. 
That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I discovered about myself is I get really, really excited about visiting like spots that were in movies or like, I'm one of those people who I visit a town that something was shot there and I'm like, I have to go visit. So I can only like, now this is kind of like on my list. It's like, I, yeah. I want to go raise a glass, you know, at the palace and kind of like experience what they experienced. Uh, it's cool. You, Anthony Bourdain did an episode there um, that he, he shot part of an episode there too, like about the high desert and, uh, yeah, I get Josh Homme, who the, you know, Queens of the stone age, he lives out there. And I think that's one of his like, you know, regular places that he goes to. So if you, if you ever want to check out a little bit more about that place, you can check it out there. But, but I have the same thing. Like we did, we did just last spring, we did, uh, Julie was working, my girlfriend working on Long Island and we did a whole Billy Joel tour. Like we went to some of like the famous Billy Joel spots. And I, I like, if I'm in town, like, a Duluth, Minnesota. I went to see Bob Dylan's birth, you know, birth home that sort of thing too. So I'm, I'm, I'm the same. I love doing that kind of stuff. I think one of my best experiences was actually in LA. Uh, so my favorite movie by far is swingers, the Vince Vaughn, John <laughs> yeah. Favreau, 1996 movie. I've definitely seen it over a hundred times. And, but I regretted uh, going to LA too late because that's the swing bar where big bad voodoo daddy plays is yep. no longer exi- like that would have been an ultimate bucket list, but I was able to go to the Dresden and hang out where, where he gives the, you want to be the guy in the rated R movie, not the PG 13 movie. You're a big bear, man. And like, um, I was driving, uh, I was driving my now wife crazy with like my movie quotes. And I, I went and looked up online, like where, like, cause there's a bunch of booths in the bar. I'm like, I have to sit in the one Vince Vaughn sat in and like <laughs> move my body to like fit like the movie poster and all that. So that's, that's one moment. of my favorite things about living out here. It really is, uh, blurring of fiction and reality because you'll go sit in some place like Musso and Frank's and you'll be like, you know, they shot once upon a time in Hollywood and Bosch, yeah. Bosch yeah. all these, all these environments. And then also too, like, I mean, I, in my old grocery store, Ralph's, which is, it, it's Kroger's basically, it's the same company in my old neighborhood. Like I would go in there and regularly see people from the cast of breaking bad. And so you also start to like, in your mind, you're like interpolate. You're like, am I living in the world of breaking bad? Am I, you know, the weirdest crossovers ever, right? Yeah. As you see people yeah. from different exactly. <laughs> series. And- <laughs> you're like, you know, am I going crazy? Oh, so sorry. I did not turn one of on. our, uh, um, but yeah, so that kind of stuff is like, it's super fun, but also it's like, if you, you lose touch with reality real fast. <laughs> Bruce, you, a client took you to New Mexico quite a bit. And I remember you yeah. either did like the Breaking Bad tour or you threw a pizza up on that house. <laughs> that, that's why the, that's now why they've got the fence up in front because they didn't want, no, that was like, it was, it was great because um, it was right in like the, the final season of, of breaking bad. So like being able to go there for the first time to that state and then mm-hmm. going in like our hotel was like literally like a block away from the crystal palace. So <laughs> I go running over there to check out the crystal palace and, you know, looked at all the, all the, you know, the houses and everything. And it's, 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 it's just fun to like see it in person and kind of be like, Oh, okay. Yeah, so awesome. this is, this is what it was, what it was like. <laughs> I do. I, I want to throw one other thing out there about Mrs. Potter's lullaby that I didn't, yeah. um, didn't think to bring up on the last uh, podcast and it's been uh, really bugging me ever since. I feel like I need to scratch that itch. And it's uh, that the song did appear in season three of Dawson's Creek as well back in the day when it came out. So I, I think that's right. definitely worth noting on here. Cause yeah. you know, the, the Creek big, big time, you know, big time. Well, you show, know, so. you know, Kevin Williamson a little bit, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so for me, like I was definitely watching a lot of Dawson's yeah. Creek at this time too. And so, you know, the album had already come out first and then, you know, this came out, but all of a sudden it's like, what, 
got Mrs. Potter's Lullaby, and there's like a Ben Fold song on the same episode. I'm like, oh my god, greatest episode oh, ever! Great. It's got all my music. <laughs> One last awesome. line: I dream I never know anyone at the party, and I'm always the host. Yeah, yeah, well, that's haunting. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's you could start uh, that again. To me, is like cinematic, where it's like someone wakes up in a in a room and they don't know anyone else there, and I'm like that's that's great. That'd be a great starting point for any kind of show or movie. Yeah. How did they get there? Who are these people? <laughs> the other the other one that that hits me in the feels as the I don't think the kids say that anymore, but the kids used to say that um, yeah. is, well, I woke up in mid afternoon because that's when it all hurts the most. I feel like like anyone who's ever experienced heartache in their lives can feel that opening line of that song. So like right off the bat there, like it, it hits you and because it's like so. I mean, I feel like we could probably quote this entire this yeah. entire song, but to each me, one I always, hits us in different ways, and that's what's great about yeah, it. I always kind of wondered if that connected back to Hanging Around, where he yeah, talks about sure. waking yep. up in, yep. in the afternoon. Yep. It's like that hangover, yep. and it doesn't even have to be from drinking. It could no, be no. some kind of emotional hangover yep. or a relationship ended the night before and, like, yep, yeah, waking up. Yep. Yeah. All right, so let's jump into the third one. I've been starting it off, so, Bruce, do you want to what, – what, what are your thoughts? Amy hit the atmosphere. It's – it's interesting because the, the kind of the energy shifts, this, things this, kind of slow down a little bit. It's hilarious. That's like the exact note I wrote down. Like oh. we've got a real shift in energy and tone yeah. right here. You know, it's it's a sad and beautiful song all at the same time for me. I, I've mentioned it multiple times in the previous one. Like that's some of my favorite Counting Crows. Um, you know, that way is. Um, but you know, for me, one of my favorite lyrics in this entire one is. Um, and meanwhile, the days go drifting away, and some of us sink like a stone, waiting for mothers to come. Like that is such a heavy line, you know, no pun intended. Um, but like, I feel like this song, there's, I was again, kind of reading up on it to kind of see what the interpretations were of this. And there's lots of talk that maybe this song is about you know, drug addiction. Um, but like, I feel like it's just as relatable to mental health, mm-hmm. you know, like listening to all these lyrics, like, you know, so, you know, there are those times where that feeling is relatable. There is that heaviness that you feel, um, and just kind of waiting for that feeling to pass or for someone to come along and kind of help you out of it. And, and I think, Mickey, you mentioned this before, like there is a lot of that through line in a lot of Counting Crow songs about like being stuck in patterns and needing just not being able to do it yourself and needing someone else to pull you out yeah. of it. And so I feel like this is one of those and the amount of kind of wailing he does in here, just mm-hmm. you you can feel this. And this is the first time like it's that record scratch moment where the, the tone really shifts in the album and it gets it starts getting real. So. Yeah, I feel like there's to me when I listen to it, and I, I I feel like I'm trying to think back and see if if I have had a different feeling about this over the years. But I feel like my my interpretation, my impression was always that she got out in a positive way, you know, that she caught herself a rocket ride and you know got out of the gutter, and that whole thing of like you know that she's never coming back is you know for her maybe a positive thing, but for him who's still stuck in this mm-hmm. place you know, weighed by the chains that keeps him hanging around. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he hasn't been able to break out of that yet. And so I think that that, and, and, you know, Rob, to your point, and Bruce, to your point, like the wailing and stuff like that, that he, you hear that sort of like pain and anguish to him, that guy who's, who's still stuck in those patterns. Um, but along the sort of pattern repetition, with, I, I mean, my favorite part of the song is just the end and that chanting yeah. of, yeah. you know, all I really know is I want to know. And all I really know is I don't want to know. Yeah. And it is it's kind of like that, that sort of, you know, contradictory sort of incongruous thing that, that keeps you stuck in that pattern. And that cycle um, It's beautiful, but it becomes like, you know, it becomes a mantra that is, you know, that's so yeah, powerful yeah. by the end of the song. Yeah. 
What's what's interesting too is Rocket Ride comes up again a few songs later. Yep, and it's definitely like a theme of this of this album. Um, I love the line: "Things are getting worse, but I feel a lot better." <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. so much to unpack there. Yeah, we could you could spend an hour with a therapist, like yeah, trying to work there's a through numbness. that. There, there's a numbness yeah. at that point. You could you could say that's why it's, it's things are getting worse, but he's feeling better. It's, it's he's yeah. kind of it's like a comfortably numb kind yeah. of moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, we kind of we know this, and Adam knows this now in retrospect. But just having read about his life and what he's gone through, he had like severe social anxiety, and I think yep. all was also diagnosed as bipolar at at one point, but not at this juncture yet. Like that came mm-hmm. like a few years later. So it's, on this album and others, obviously, you can like see him really wrestling, maybe more on recovering the satellites with "Have you seen me lately?" and all that, and I'm not sleeping, and and those sorts of songs. But he's obviously wrestling with some inner demons that he doesn't have a name for yet. Um, but, you, I mean, you see it really come out through the art. Yeah, this feels like one of, if not the most personal song on the album to me. Or, yeah. or maybe it's just because it catches it catches me after kind of more upbeat. But, this, you know, it's one of those that feels very personal. And I've always enjoyed this song. But it's one that it's it's grown on me more and more with every listen. Um, you know, over the years where it just connects very differently and where it's like, okay, it's, it was good. But now it's like, oh, wow. Like I, it's definitely one of my, you know, top tiers um, of, of the entire album. But I always found it was difficult to go from Mrs. It, I mean, it, it's, it's, Amy it's, it is a departure. Yeah. Like, and, and that's, and I think that's why in my younger days, I didn't, I, this, I didn't dislike the song, but like it wasn't one of my favorite ones because it is such a departure and I wasn't kind of ready for that. Yeah. At that I find point. if I listen to it in a different order, I'm yeah, much yeah. more in. Like if I, I start with three and yep. then I, I like ending with like Mrs. Potter's because it's tough, tough to like go to anything after that. Yeah. It's almost like a Tarantino movie yeah. where you have to put it in different yep. orders and kind of give the ending first yeah. and then revisit it back so then you can appreciate it. <laughs> so next up is Four Days. To me, this sounds the most akin with august and everything after like especially the instrumentation it kind of sounds like a t-bone burnett uh kind of kind of uh song with uh you know the light acoustic guitars in there and i like you know mickey on the last song you mentioned you love the ending i love when he sings about ohio like have you seen ohio rise and the whole thing crescendos and the song kind of changes yeah and this song is like after i mean amy hit the atmosphere is pretty dark right and i find this one a lot more helpful. Take a breath, take your time, spread your wings and rise. And to me, this like is a great bridge to the rest of the album. This is one of those, I think that like it came for me at the, the right time too, because I had just started dating my girlfriend in 98. I think, you know, like we became really kind of like solidified in 99. And for most of our early relationship, we were long distance. And so we were kind of like, you know, she was always doing a show somewhere. I was doing a show somewhere. I was shooting a movie. I was doing my own thing. And so we were constantly like, you know, it was just in that period of time where things were getting really intense. And then we were having to like split up and we were missing each other and missing that time with each other. Uh, and I'm from Ohio. So there, you know, like there's part of that, like <laughs> that too. Um, and I think this too, this, I think this may have something to do with Monica Potter too, because I know that she's from Ohio, um, you know, in that relationship yeah. being in that period of time. But, um, but yeah, so it really, like for me, it really just does capture that feeling of like, you want that person to be able to be free and go do the thing that they love to do and be the best version of themselves and, and, and have their own life and, and, and grow and change, but not too much mm-hmm. that you change too much and, and, you know, and have no need or use for me anymore. You know, that kind of like, it's a, that's such a melancholy kind of like 
aching feeling about that. And I think it really captures it so well. Yeah. I like melancholy. That's, that's definitely how I think of it as well. I also feel like this, this comes at a good time in the album too. Cause like you, you do need that bounce back song after the heaviness of that previous one. Um, it, like you just have to recover from that. And I feel like this does, um, this does a good job of it. And it's, you know, it's again, it's another relatable take, you know, in this where it's that both the excitement and that sheer terror of like waiting to hear from someone you've just met. Cause I, I was kind of reading up to, and it, it was written up, you know, based off of like he had, he had met, you know, Monica Potter. And then she's like, Oh, Hey, I'll call you. I have to go, you know, film this thing. And one day becomes two days, becomes three days, becomes four days. He hasn't heard from her. And I think we've all felt that way where it's like, you meet someone that you're so energized about and you're just waiting for that call to come in. And so yep. then he writes us down the, the four days like of how he's feeling. And yeah, I, I feel like that it's such a relatable thing to, to any of us in that moment. And it, it kind of, you know, at the end of the album with the kid stuff, it, it kind of feels a little bit like that where it's, it's that kid like moment, you know, where it's like, okay, you, you can feel this, whether you're a teenager, 20 something, 40 something. Um, so I kind of like this bounce back. That's an interesting question though, Bruce. Cause I, it's like, what would he feel the same way now? Like the person that he is and who, you know, who he's grown to be. And obviously like, he feels like he's been through a lot too, but would he have those same insecurities with a new love? in that way yeah as the guy in that song then 20s you know 20 odd years like that's that's interesting to me i don't know i mean i may feel a little more secure now but like what would it take to get me back to that point where you're like maybe the song's titled six days instead of four days he might have learned a little something and gotten better yeah (laughs) eight days yeah Yeah. like it's like in swingers how many days rob do do you have to wait to to call so maybe i uh, think (laughs) i think waiting the two days is kind of money but yeah Yeah. three days is industry standard now (laughs) I'm pretty sure I could recite that entire screenplay. <laughs> I'm going to show my age, but I still, I have that on laser disc. So that was one of those. I wore out that laser disc. So you were preaching to the choir over here, Rob. I'm not going to goof <laughs> on you for that. <laughs> I'll never get tired of watching that. All right. So uh, great. Obviously we love this album, but now I feel like, so Mrs. Potter's, you know, one of my favorite songs of all time, but I feel like desert life just like kicks it up a notch and doesn't let up uh, through the rest of this album. Once we get into all my friends. And one of, you know, one of the recurring themes we keep coming back to is how this song impacted me in 1999 and it's still impacting me now. And I also should say, I think this is the bir- the, fir- the best first five seconds of a song that Counting Crows has ever done. I love, there's no instrumentation. It immediately starts with a vocal, thought I might get a rocket ride. And I love like the journey that we're on for the rest of the yeah. time. And, and again, going back to the imagery I mean, this is, again, if you'd put this in front of me, I'd be like, this is my new favorite poet, like caught some grief from a fallen leaf as she tumbled down to the dirty ground. Just like the alliteration, how easy that was for me to say just now, (laughs) you know, it's like, I mean, the guy is is just so brilliant. And so I think I was about, I was 14 when this album came out. So, you know, he talks about being 17 and he talks about being 33 in this song kind of humorously now i i remember listening to this at 14 years old and like connecting with he's singing about what it was like he's trying to get a girl at 17 okay that's kind of in the situation i'm now and then i remember listening to that lyric about now i'm 33 and it isn't me and thinking like 33 is so old i don't know what (laughs) what that could possibly be like and now i'm 37 so again i'm connecting to it because you know someone in their 30s um all my friends and lovers leave me behind i'm still looking for a girl uh, you know, I think 
I think we, you know, we all in our, you know, in our younger days, definitely connected with that. It's like, it was very kind of a, you know, a teenage feeling when things weren't going right, or maybe the girl you liked didn't like you back and girls you weren't so interested in were liking you. It's just a confusing time. And I think that song, I, mean, I think this song, all my friends like really connects with that. It's a little bit of like wallowing in misery, but also in the sense that sometimes that can actually make you feel better in the long run. Like it's a sad song that makes you feel better because you're kind of, Hey, we're in this together. And that's how I've always felt like, Hey, Adam, you know, we're in this together, man. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love, this is one of those where I, I go back and forth and where I'm like, uh, Mrs. Potter's is my favorite song. And then there's other times where I'm like, all my friends is my favorite song on this album. I just, I kind of flip flop a lot, but you know, like I, I love the canvas that he's painting on here. Like, so you've got, you know, this really does feel like it's an extension of what we hear and hanging around, which takes place like when we're younger and the world is still ahead of us. But by the time all my friends comes along, yeah, and this song being in the middle of the album, you know, this is what happens when you're hanging around too long. <laughs> you know, it's like the cautionary tale. By the time this one comes up, you realize, again, you know, time and people, they keep marching along. And if you don't eventually march along and change as well, then you're not going to realize until it's too late. And the result is that line that you brought up, Rob, which is at 17, I had a better dream when he's hanging around. Now I'm 33 and it isn't me. Like that hits hard when you realize yeah. like, Unbelievable oh shoot, I, I, I hung around too long and now mm -hmm. everyone's passing me by and things have passed me by and, and now I'm stuck. Like, so for me, the like, lyrics are so now. strong on this album that yeah. sometimes I feel like the music is a bonus. Like, oh, Andy, you put <laughs> this to music. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, especially this one, because it's got, I mean, it's such a cool groove to this song. Yeah. Like, and yeah. immediately at the very yeah. beginning. Yeah. It's, it's, it's laid back. It's, it, but it's so like, yeah, there's something about it that's so like, it, it's laid back, but there's still this tension to it. And I think that, I mean, all the stuff that you guys are saying, I think is, is, is great and right on it. So, it feels like to me that he, at this point in his career too, like, you know, you've been on the road, you're, you're in the studios, you're probably, you know, fairly transient in your life and that you come back to your life. And then, like I said, all these, you know, other people have moved on, they have other lives and their kids are growing up and they're, you know, it's a little bit of like, you know, there are those, the, those sort of road songs of like wanted dead or alive or Bob Seger turned the page. You know, it's like how hard life on the road is, but this is this to me, there's a little element of like how hard it is when you get back and you see that everybody else has changed and that you were kind of like, you know, you're in, frozen in, in this little bubble as you're, mm -hmm. as you're traveling and making music with your friends and things, but then you come back and you know, your nephew is six inches taller and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's the, that's a difficult thing to reckon with at times and, and, you and know, how I, you fit in their life and how, how, you know, what are you missing and all those guys. So I think it's just, it really gets sort of relatable and it's just like, filtering his experience through that poetic prism. Uh, it's, 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 it's so powerful. You know, I'd never really connected it with that experience, but I think you're a hundred percent on like all my friends and lovers shine like the sun. I just turn and walk away one way or another. I'm not coming undone. I'm just waiting for the day. Like waiting for his, you know, like you said, he's probably been out on the road for years and people are marrying off having kids and he comes back and home is not what it, once was and when when is my time when you know when am i going to experience those things um yeah and for anyone who spent like serious time out on the road like going back to our profession i was on this ad campaign where i was gone you know six months over a two-year period so like 25 percent of my life i spent in a marriott in those two years and yeah. it's like 
So, you know, even I can't imagine what it's like to, you know, be a year and a half on the road or something like I'm sure like a big touring band would be, but things are not the same when you come back sometimes even after a week or two. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, that's why I I mean, you know, we all have like a little different interpretation, but they're all, they're all right. Like, I think that's a real Testament to Adam writes too. Yeah. Like, even if it's specific about his experience, it can mean so many different things to so many you know, people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because I'm not usually like, I, I don't usually love abstract lyrics and I'm, I, I tend to favor storytellers and people who are, well, things are a little maybe more straightforward or, you know, like I love Jason Isbell and, and, and you know, people like that. Mm-hmm. Amazing lyrics, great stories, great characters. Um, but with Adam, like, he, this is, they're one of the, the few bands I've stuck with for, you know, 25 years now or whatever, 30 years almost that um they are poetic and they are like, there are levels of abstraction that let you kind of pull out your own meaning of it and and uh i kind of love it because of that bonavere is another like example of that like normally like those kind of lyrics would drive me crazy because they're kind of inscrutable <laughs> like with him it actually like kind of opens me up a little bit it makes me think about it a little deeper and and uh, i really love it so I am uh, extremely excited to get to this next song because it's the first one. If, if you, again, if you would ask me when this album came out, what do I think about it? I'd say this desert life's not happening for me. Wow. What don't you like about it, Rob? <laughs> I can't stand the song high life. And now, <laughs> you, know, you know what I did today when I took a little walk around my neighborhood, I listened to high life back to back. And it's that song. Like, you like, it makes me emotional. This, this song, yeah. it really does. And, I mean, the lyrics are, are really beautiful, but, and I have the same connection with the other song. I don't want to give it away because I like surprises for everyone, <laughs> but this is one of my favorite Counting Crows songs. And, and along with the other one that's coming up. And for me, it's not so much the specific lyrics, although they're, they're really, really beautiful. And I'm sure I'll wind up reading a couple because I've been doing it all night. But for me, it's about change and like the good and bad that can come with that. And I think I'm really connecting with Desert Life and specifically high life. Um, just because if I just, in the last two years of my life, I've moved from Milwaukee to Madison. So I've, I've, you know, moving is always, uh, you know, a challenge and I left all my friends in Milwaukee and, uh, you know, I didn't really know anyone in Madison. I moved here to be with my now wife. So like, it's, it's been great. Like that's been a great new beginning, but leaving behind all the people I knew in Milwaukee was difficult. Uh, and, Similarly, I switched jobs. I like to do everything all at once. And, you know, it was, I, I loved my job and I loved the people that I worked with. Um, but again, I just had this opportunity back at the ad agency. So it was the exact same scenario where I'm like super excited about the stuff I'm doing now. But it, it was difficult. I worked for a family company and it's like you're kind of leaving a family and I was leaving my city and all that. And then, you know, I had my daughter, you know, six months ago and like, all these major, major life changes. Um, so that's what I, I connect high, more with high life, like a feeling. There's not like one lyric that like talks about having a kid or moving or, or any of the stuff I just mentioned. Um, but I just, I connect with like the emotion in this song, the melody to it. And God, I just find it so, so gorgeous. And it, it's just amazing the transformation. It's gone from like skipping high life and not giving it to the time of day. It's like listening to multi- it multiple times a day in the year 2023. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Do you want I to jump would, in, Bruce? Yeah, no, I was. I, I did want to jump in um, on you, Mickey. But like for me, I like. I have the same note as you, Rob. Where there, I don't think there's any single line that jumps out, except you know we get the title of. Uh, the album from this. I, I always Life. love that too, so, by the way. So at least like, I love when they work in the yeah. album title. It's yeah. like when you're watching a movie and they say the, the title <laughs> of the movie. It's like, oh, they just said the title. Yeah. You know, it's like, so it, like, I think yeah. that's like the one lyric, but otherwise it's more about the story. You know, I, again, I latched onto the same thing. It feels very much a story about flaws and change. You know, it's kind yeah. of what latched, what I latched onto, you know, it's, it's about our own flaws and loving someone else because of theirs, not despite them. And then it's also, you know, the people we're slowly turning into because of our own flaws or because of the people around us. So, so I like the storytelling of it. Um, uh, I'll, I'll be honest for me, it's, it is still one of my least favorite on the album because hey, hey, I've been there. It, exactly. Like, I get it. And it's not <laughs> that I dislike it. It's like, yeah, yeah. you got to rank them. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, especially I listened to this album a few times, you know, over the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, I still dig the song, but it's in the lower tier for me. Cause I, I feel like, maybe it, it meanders a little too much at times. Like musically it isn't as catchy or maybe as like moody or vibrant as, as the others. Um, and because no lyrics like really jump out at me, but I feel like the story is just as strong as anything else that's on this album. So that's why that's how, where I kind of, you know, land on, on this versus some of the other songs. Well, I, I mean, I, to me, it's my favorite one on the, on the album and it, it probably right. like one of the like, top five, <laughs> One of my top five favorite Counting Crow songs, and I think you know, you know Bruce kind of was saying too. Like, I don't think it's. I, I, I know there's a reason why this is the title of the album. You know, it's pulled from this lyric. It feels like musically and thematically that it sort of ties together the whole thing, right? It feels mm-hmm, like yeah. this is like conceptually like this song is is the centerpiece, and it kind of lands right in the center of the album in a way too. And um, and I love that you know the opening lyrics, all my friends. You know, got flowers in their eyes, which is the title of the last song, right? So it's I know like, there's a lot of connections. In yeah, nice here, transition yeah. from that. Um, and I, I mean, I, just, I love it because it also feels like the first time too. There's something like hopeful about it, and feels not for the first time. There's something hopeful about it that makes you feel like this guy's going to be okay. You know, all the stuff that you're sort of going through, and that like you are learning and growing and changing. And I do that. My favorite lyric, and I love the way it comes. I love the the poetry in it. And I also just love the way it flows out of that bridge too, which is that like beneath the sun in the summer, the sea of flowers won't bloom without the rain. And Rob's kind of like, you're talking about that experience of going through the difficult times and, and changing and moving jobs. And the, you know, like you have to go through those periods of rain in order to get to those, you know, that sea of flowers Absolutely. on the other yeah. side. And that feels like such a big thematic idea for this, for this record in general, but also just a great like way to look at your life. I also love how he delivers. So right after that was the lyric I was going to pull out, Mickey. So we're, we're right on the same page. But it, beneath the sun in the summer, a sea of flowers won't bloom without rain. But oh, this desert life, this high life, and he changes. He modulates his voice, and I love how he delivers mm-hmm. this desert life, this high life. This comes like right in the middle of the album. It's got the album title in there. It is the connector, I think, between the first half of this and the second half. Oh. It's good. I mean, I think you, you guys are both right too in that it's not like it's not one that grabs you right away and since there's nothing like super showy about it. There's nothing. It took me about twenty like, years to get into the song. Yeah. <laughs> Better late than never. I'll get yeah. there soon. Yeah. <laughs> you will listen to it tomorrow. You'll be re-recording this. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm going to say like Rob. We have to yeah. do an, a quick edit here. I've changed my mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I love the opportunity too. That this is one of the. This is a big like music industry observation, but. I just wonder if like the idea of like 
growing with music or giving something time is completely gone in the streaming era. Mm. Like in these days, like when I got the desert life album, even if I didn't like it, like I stuck with it. Cause I invested a lot of money at the time. Yeah. I only had so much music to listen to. It was either the CDs you owned or the radio. Now people have the, you know, the entire history of music at their fingertips. Would they stick with an album or stick with a song? And then I, I just find like so much value in that. Like, I mean, think of how long it took me to come around to this becoming one of my favorite songs. I mean, that's so true. I'd never really thought about that, but you know, this, like, like when this record came out, I probably bought the CD. It was probably like eighteen dollars. Yeah, so like, yeah. yeah. like yeah. forty in today's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm, I went through like, and I still do this, but like, I do it a different way now. But like then, like I would go through the entire album with the lyrics, and I would put a you know sheet of paper underneath the next lyric over the next mm-hmm. lyric and just reveal them like as the song revealed them. And so I really like took the time to do it. But now if I'm on iTunes, if I'm scrolling and browsing, you know, I'll listen to 20 seconds of a song, 30 seconds of a song. And if the band, if it's a new band, if somebody feel like I like, I add it and I may or may not listen to it later, but I don't do the in-depth thing. Cause like you said, the time and the money, the investment, you, you have to go to tower records or wherever yeah. and buy it. Hope they have <laughs> a copy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, $18 to, you know, if you're making minimum wage, or if you're making, you know, it's like two hours of work to buy a record. Which, so that's absolutely what I, I was making. Five fifteen at Piggly Wiggly. Uh, this album came out. <laughs> it was so half it, your shift to buy one Counting Crows record. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to listen to High Life. I'm like, what is this? This isn't long December. <laughs> Where's my Mr. Jones? Exactly. Uh, it's all come around now. <laughs> All right, so so next one, I'm I'm equally as excited to talk about this, but I speaking of, I don't think I have my mind made up on this song in 20 years. So I want to hear from you guys first. This is, I mean, it's absolutely gorgeous, colorblind, um, but just the floor is open. Like when you hear this song, you got to have a strong reaction to it because it is. It seems to be so different than everything else on this album, and in some ways, different than anything else they've done before or since. Yeah. I- I mean, I think the the first thing that comes to mind when I think about it and when I was thinking about it today, it's just just like there's something just hypnotic about it. It, it Another great word, Mickey. You should get into writing. (laughs) (laughs) It really just like pulls you in and puts you – it casts a spell in a way. And I think, you know, like with the piano, with his voice and – um, and I always love those kind of songs like, you know, Raining in Baltimore, the things that are just Mm -hmm. like the piano, you know, like piano ballads. Um, but there's something special about this one. It's, it's not one of my favorite songs on the record, but there is a power to it. That is like, it's not like, it's not a skip for me. I listen to it and, and it, and it still is, uh, affecting. And I just think that is, it just, it just casts a really interesting kind of like somewhat gloomy spell, but like, it's a pleasurable gloomy spell. Do you guys think like, do you think it's a song about depression or heartbreak or, Heart, this is the one I, depression. Like, I guess I don't even know if answer, I could but, guess at the lyrics, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Like this is the most, what was the word you use? Mickey, uh, hypnotic. <laughs> no, that's, nope. the, that greatly describes like the melody, but no, the lyrics are kind of abstract yeah. more so than anything else on this yeah. album too. Yeah. I'm not sure what it's about. I, I wonder if it's not even supposed to be about something specific, but just like setting that mood. Yeah, because it feels a lot like uh, it feels to me like it's a person that's numb to the world right now. They're just kind of going through the motions of life. Yeah. That's kind of like mm-hmm. that's that's how I interpreted it. Was that's why you're you know in, that's why they're colorblind. There is no bright, vibrant colors anymore. It's the the world isn't this you know happy place. 
um, you know, for him. So to me, there's just a, a numbness yeah. to him. And, and so I, that's just a, you know, I, there's this angsty haze about him in this entire song. And so. Well, you saying that makes me think maybe this is about anxiety, right? Yeah. Like, I'm taffy stuck and tongue tied. Like, yeah. even though you're famous and known the world over, like, I don't know what the right thing to say is. I don't know how mm-hmm. to talk to these people who all want something from me. Uh, I do love the imagery of coffee black and egg white. Yeah. yeah. Again, another great. Uh, yeah. Adam could have been a screenwriter, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, wasn't he like an English professor or something um, back before? He's a, he was... Like a literature major yeah, at yeah. Berkeley. Okay. I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah. I, but also because like at the end, like he's desperately telling us that he's fine too, yeah. which, you know, which mm-hmm. again, that's like anytime someone says, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, you're not fine. It's kind of you know? like so an unreliable what, narrator yeah, type deal. Like absolutely. I really question he's if he's trying fine. To con- he's yeah. trying to convince himself yeah. at the end of the song by repeatedly mm-hmm. saying I'm fine over and over again. So that's why okay. I just kind of keep coming back to this. He's just, it is kind of, he's in this kind of depressive state, kind of numb, trying to break free from it. And he's trying to will himself out of it. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, yeah, and I am ready too. Yep. So I yes. look at that part of yeah. it too, which is like there's a willingness, like a desire to do it. Yep. And again, it's sort of like those patterns and things, like, like the desire is there, but you haven't taken that action. Yeah. To break out of it yet. Yeah. But it is, it's this gorgeous little song. And I think it's, uh, let's see, it's the shortest on the record, which is really interesting too. Like they don't, it's three, three minutes, 23 seconds. And the Counting Crows are usually known for, you know, going a little bit longer. Um, but I, I, I mean, I love the melody. We, when we had the, uh, the, uh, string quartet in our wedding, we chose colorblind as one of the songs to play. Cool. And it's just yeah. like, I mean, it just sets the stage. It's, it's another, just a gorgeous piece of music. This was the, uh, this was the song that got me ready for this album because I was introduced to it in, uh, cruel intentions, which came out earlier in the year. I think it like in February or March, that movie came out. And I remember that being in that movie and it was like, and I latched onto it there. And so then had to wait five or six months for it to come out, then the album to come out. And so (laughs) that got me ready for, it. I was like, okay, like it's on my radar. And so I was already kind of like, you know, going right to this song at first and then going back and listening to it in the, in the correct order. Yeah. So next one, uh, another song that mentions going down to Hollywood. Um, and I, I believe they were, he was actually being uh, interviewed by studios to like create a movie, which, which never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, it is kind of funny though. He has a connection to broken lizard. He's like friends with those guys. If you remember <laughs> oh, yeah. super yeah. troopers, yep. which makes like, so I read this, so I know it's true, but it makes no sense considering like how serious his lyrics are versus like the super troopers guy. So I've always <laughs> wondered. And if I wish I was a girl, if like he says, I'm going down to Hollywood, they're going to make a movie from the things they found crawling around my brain. I remember when this came out, I'm like, I can't wait to see the Adam Duritz movie or like yeah. whatever he's making. And then <laughs> for whatever reason, it never happened. Um, and, and, and that, this kind of fits in Counting Crows canon because he talks about Elizabeth from yep. Good Night Elizabeth yep. is in here. Uh, another mention of Hollywood um, and lots of good imagery. I can't say this is kind of like uh, what how high life is to you. I can't say this is my favorite track on this desert life. Yeah, uh, it feels the most '90s in a way. Like it feels like this is like an alt rock '90s song about a relationship. It doesn't feel feel quite as timeless maybe as the other tracks to me. But also, it's not a skip for me either. Yeah. 
very very mid very mid tier. I, I would agree yeah. on that. Um, I do enjoy the opening lyrics a lot. You know, Counting Crows like still like they are some of the best at hooking you with the open line. Oh, the opening line, the, the devil's yeah. in the dreaming. He tells you, "I'm not yeah. sleeping in my hotel room alone." You know, it might be about, the strongest part of the whole song. Absolutely, honestly. absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, and it, so again, it's about that little voice in your head or in your friend's mouths filling you with all these what ifs and what ifs and yeah. and, and what ifs can be dangerous if you let them get out of control. And so. I, for that, I, I love, I love that, you know, kind of thematic here. I think it's relatable, but it, it doesn't feel like it goes as deep as other songs. It kind of hits to your point. It's a kind of all downhill after that. Cause I think that's kind of the strongest, um, deepest thing. And the rest is a little kind of surface for me. It's fun. You're like, I like the groove of it. I like the idea. It reminds me a little bit of, um, you know, Prince, if I was your girlfriend, you know, like that, it's that kind of like genre of that sort of <laughs> genre of song. Um, but yeah, but there's some just, there are some great lines in it, the devils in the dreaming and, and those kind of things. And that, and, and Rob, like now you've got me wondering, like, what would the Adam Durris movie have been? Like, I know. What would the Crows movie be? I, <laughs> Especially if he did like, it with Broken Lizard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he also, you know, he's friends with so many of those, you know, actors, yeah, like here, yeah. and like he's gone to see, you know, Broadway plays and he's got a friend in this and person that. And, um, you know, he'd gone to see, uh, with, you know, with Mary Louise Parker, you know, something like a great you know, friend of his. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like, it's so and I then I know he's like hung out with Sean Penn. It, it, it doesn't have to be super troopers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Just hey, like the weird Al biopic, maybe yeah. with the weird Al biopic, <laughs> you know, taking that different angle. Hey, maybe we've, we're going to get the Adam Duritz version. Listen, at some point. I think like the, the movie that jumps out at me, they'll be like, here's the County Crows movie that I would love to see or the County Crows series. It, it's like, it's like the movie once. You know, that yes. the, the Irish yes. movie, the singer songwriter oh, yes. yeah. and the couple. And it's like it, it was a musical in all the best ways. There was like music was part of it and, and infused it. But you also saw like their life and, and their struggle and their romance together. And I mean, I would love to see all these characters in that, you know, a series of films, Elizabeth, Maria, Amy. Yeah. I would do, you know, I do a Kickstarter. Get, let's get yeah, that Kickstarter yeah. going. I will, I will help fund that. <laughs> Oh, it would be awesome. I think and it's it's I mean it would be a really cool series of for, yeah, for the fans. Yeah. It's the kind of day we could do it. Adam, if you're listening. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you are. Yeah. All right. So next up uh is Speedway. And this is the other song that I connect back with High Life. And if you had asked me ten years ago, I would have said, This is my least favorite counting crow song that they've ever recorded. And now it's come back and this is probably in my top 10 and I relate it very much with, with high life. Um, and in fact, reading about the history of the song, this is Adam himself wondering if it's time to leave Los Angeles. Mm. So it made a ton of sense when this started connecting with me about two years ago when I moved. Um, and you know, I'm thinking about getting out, which he repeats over and over again. What's, what's kind of funny is that he did not leave Los Angeles after writing this song he wound up moving to New York uh, permanently after the release of Hard Candy, but it still was like clearly like kind of laying the groundwork for something that happened in his actual life. Um, and I made this point to Bruce earlier, but I'll, I'll reiterate it again. Uh, as much as I love this song, this is not what I'm putting on on like a Friday night or like <laughs> right, friends right. are over or uh, we're hanging out at the uh, the beach or we're on vacation. I love it, especially this time of year, walking around the neighborhood or like snow's falling or this is a great like rainy day song. Yeah. Um, so I, I will put a caveat that like it ha- I have to be in the right move, 
mood, even the weather has to be right. But with all those factors working, all those factors working together, I find like Speedway really powerful and a really incredible piece of music. But it's it's got to be in the right the right space. That's to me. It feels like the B side of hanging around. Like this is the one that really feels like I'm thinking about getting out. Like you've been here for too long. You've been hanging around yeah. way too long. Yeah. And now you got to get out. Right. It's like, and all those things that like, it, it, it's interesting too for him as an artist, because I think moving to New York did change a lot too. You know, like if you think about like Saturday nights or Sunday mornings, some of these other songs, Oh, it feels like, like I always York, wonder what that, you know, like how that infused him creatively and what that did yeah. for him and getting him out and change the scenery. And, you know, anytime like, you know, you know, uh, Joni Mitchell, you know, going and spending time in Europe and coming back and making blue, you know, like that those sort of like big changes can lead to those artistic breakthroughs. And, and so I wonder how much of it too, is just like feeling stuck in that, like even creatively and same scenery and same stimuli and same, you know, sounds and all the stuff you're taking in, not necessarily going to lead you to, you know, to, to great new music. This is one where um, when I mentioned about being a little bit neurotic that I was going to contradict myself, this is that one right here because um, I I feel now after re-listening to this a number of times that it's probably the most underrated song on the album. And I mm. think on the previous one, I was kind of like, yeah, I was kind of middle of the road because like, there wasn't anything super memorable to me. Yeah. And then like I've been revisiting it over and over again i'm like this like this song hits me way harder than it did even a couple of weeks ago now it's it's another grower right it it really is it's but i it's under your skin i connect with it like i don't know i probably need to be lying on a couch when i talk about this but it's like (laughs) this connects with me in a little bit different way because like the word that comes to mind immediately for me is like dissociating. Like, I feel like mm. that's the mood that this song conveys to me. I feel like we're witnessing a guy who's kind of detaching right before us. Like some of those themes of, you know, a numb, you know, and, and some of the other songs too. And, and when I hear this one, like there's this, a line where I'm, I'm thinking about leaving tomorrow. I'm thinking about leaving on my own. I'm not for me. Like I didn't think instantly that he's talking about, I need to move out to New York. I'm thinking uh, he's contemplating some deeper stuff. And yeah. because there's at least 10 times in the song that in some way, shape or form, he's talking about trying to get out, break free, take time off. He's just, it feels like he's wrestling with just how to get out of whatever rut he's in, whether it's mental or satisfaction with, you know, his, his writing or his relationship, any of that. So for me, like, I think that's where suddenly I'm like, this feels like it's, it's kind of like an, an onion. There's lots of layers to this song to me. And yeah, that's why I can like definitely it's see that with me. It's, it's much more I'm, internalized song than, than anything else. It feels it's about him, not really his surroundings that he's trying to escape, which wasn't the case in hanging around and all my friends. He's like physically trying to get away from a location. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm talk, thinking about leaving like, tomorrow. I'm thinking about being on my own. Yeah. You're saying how alone. Yeah. Is he yeah. thinking yeah. about? So for yeah. me, I'm like, this is a song that like it, yeah. it, it has some to me could be scary lyrics where it's like, okay, this he could be in a dark place kind of thing. Taking some extreme action to yeah. get out. Yeah, just it, it, taking some of the stuff that he said in some of the previous songs, you know, too. It's like, okay, like is is that where he's going with it or not? So um yeah, it's it's this is definitely one where I'm like completely agree, Rob. I gotta be in the right, you know, right time yeah. and place to enjoy it, but I, I feel like it's it's one one of the most underrated the un, most underrated song on the album now. Let me ask you guys this because I uh, and maybe I missed this and and uh, didn't go back and really look and do research why. But the title of the song Speedway, mm. what does that come from? That's a great question. Is that yeah, I'm not sure on the Is answer. There anything that, yeah. like, now I need to look it up. That, yeah. yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it's not. 
it's like abstract to the point of not, I'm not even sure that the DNA or the, the answers to that question are in the lyrics to that song. Is it about getting away as quickly as you can? Yeah, from that's, like that's the kind of what I was wondering. Yeah. 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 He's trying to find the, yeah, like basically trying to find a fast lane out of the situation. You know. But it is, I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong. I, maybe it's a Midwestern thing, but you would think like, okay, a highway, but yes. people, I don't yeah. often say freeway. speedway. Yeah. Yeah, or fr- yeah. Speedway seems like, is he choosing that for some specific reason? You would think knowing what we know about Adam Duritz, it was it certainly chosen for a specific reason. We, yeah. I don't know exactly yeah. what that is, but. Cause I think a speedway is like, it's a, I mean, to me, I think racetrack immediately. Like yep. I think, you know, you're a motor speedway, yeah. you're a, as opposed to a freeway or a highway, like you were saying. So it's interesting is like, you know, maybe it's like where he was when he came up with the idea for the song. Maybe he was at a racetrack and had, I don't know. Yeah. But, it, and it's such a slow moving song. I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's something exactly. going on yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, all right. So we are on the final track. <laughs> kind I'm of. not counting. I'm not kind counting. Of, the yeah. bonus track. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you guys really want to do the bonus track. Uh, I'll just say, I, you know, this is my favorite Counting Crows album, but I think the bonus track should stay a bonus. And I think <laughs> there's a reason there is 15 minutes of dead air on the original <laughs> album before you reached it. But that's, that's just my opinion. Um, but no, I am. I'm very excited. So the this is the closest they get to matching the majesty of Mrs. Potter's lullaby. And. I won't say it's the pinnacle of lyric writing. Cause again, I think that's Mrs. Potter's, but this is probably the pinnacle of you could pitch this um, as a movie or a show and you've already got characters and you've already got brilliant imagery and a great story to tell. And I'm talking of course about St. Robinson and his Cadillac dream uh, as I, I love like the, the track sequence on this album, but I think if I changed one thing, I would move this way to the front because I don't think people, I probably put it at three or three or four, because I don't think enough people know about this song. It's kind of buried there at 10. Um, but man, is this, man, is this a great song? And it kind of, it's hard. It's its own thing. Like this sounds like desert life. I, I don't think it sounds yeah. like August and everything after. It certainly mm-hmm. doesn't sound like recovering the satellites. Um, but it it is so cinematic down to, I'm not sure if we have met Arthur Robinson before or after this, but yeah, he's know. like the hero <laughs> of this story. Um, and I, I, there's a couple lyrics in here. Carries down in her basement, all toe shoes and twinned with the girl in the mirror who spins when she spins. And to me, I just imagine like a little girl trying on her ballerina outfit in front <laughs> of the mirror. She's, you know, doing some different moves and like, she pictures like a professional ballerina, like, mm like in the, you know, in the, in the mirror there, which I think is just really beautiful imagery. And there's a hole in the ceiling down through which I fell. There's a girl in a basement coming out of her shell. Uh, you know, I just, man, it's, it's you just, again, keep going, it just though, that's one of my favorite picture. lyrics of all um, time. Oh, sorry. What's that? <laughs> I said, you got to keep going though. Cause I feel like that's one of the best lyrics on the album. Oh, oh, I, I used to scream this in con- when I saw him in concert, too. <laughs> yeah, so there's a girl in a basement coming out of her shell, and there are people who will say that they knew me so well. I may not go to heaven. I hope you go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, just a great line. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, this is such a uplifting end of this album, um, and it's kind of where sometimes I start now because I feel like I haven't listened to it enough mm. just yeah. because of the album sequence where it's at 10, and it's like, 
you know, I could really go for today is St. Robinson and his Cadillac dream. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fun. It's uplifting. Uh, again, just the best of Adam's lyrics. Uh, it's uh, what else could you want from a counting crow song? Really? Yeah, I, I think, um, thematically it's the perfect, we'll say unofficial close to the album, I guess, or, or official, <laughs> uh, whichever way. You want I didn't realize my kid uh, things take was a hot take. Uh, just, <laughs> Cause on the album, on the album. Yeah. This is officially the last song. Yeah, unless but, you but fast forwarded your CD. Exactly. Yeah, and no yeah. one did that. No one's, no. you know, waiting for, for that, but yeah. on Spotify, they make it its own. Yeah. You know, song Spotify, now, so. you wouldn't even know. They're just track rogue. 11 kid yeah, things. They're, they're I'm like, no, 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 but, no. But like thematically, it's, that's not it's, Canon. It's perfect though for this, because, this song closes with there's a line let's just get into my car and drive just don't always do the same thing over and over so to me i'm like he's finally breaking the chain and like kind of learning from his his experiences and mistakes in previous songs so we've kind of bookended this album with two songs that deal with you know hanging around in the same old place but by now at the end of this one he isn't hanging around anymore he's he's actually going on and doing something so for me like while you said like yeah like the, the the vibe feels like it should be earlier I feel like thematically, though, it's a nice bookend, you know, from where we start to where we and end and going off. Yeah, I'm sure. Sh- yeah. And it was chosen specifically if you look at he's always very specific with album closers, whether it's like Holiday in Spain or Murder yeah. of One or Walkaways, on, you yeah. know, Recovering on the Satellites, yeah. which feels like it was just recorded, like just to end the album. Yeah. So I know this was chosen with like, uh, yeah. you know, utmost specificity but it is a damn shame that it's the last song because especially yeah. thinking of the cds days where it's like hey you get your destination yeah. and the cd's not over so the next time you get in the car you start on track one again like yep. it's so i started like with this, hanging around yeah, yeah so that's why like yeah it's, it's a shame that this song is at the end because we just don't tend to get to it as often um so yeah i completely agree with you on that <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that too. I, I feel like thematically, it's just like it's the best closer because it is finally like he's finally getting out. You know, yep, thing, yep, getting out all this time and like yeah. now he's getting his car and drive. There's a defiance to it too. I think in that you know in that lyric of like, I may not go to heaven. I hope you go to hell. Like there's yeah, there's, there's a yeah. Like a, and yeah, yeah. And I feel like there's just like some kind of like you know owning his owning his power in that you know and owning his agency and getting out and like and and saving somebody along the way too, like saving somebody who needs it, who's stuck in her own patterns. So yep. it's, it's great. It's such a great closer. And it's one of those ones I would like, I, I've seen them. I, I feel like I have seen them play this a time or two in live, but I feel like it's such a great, you know, like it's one of those, I, I could, I can hear them play this live all the time. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's a me thing, but I also love when counting crows mention specific locations, Yeah, whether it's raining in Baltimore or here, he's just calling out, uh, you know, Maryland and Virginia or Ohio in four days, or maybe most famously Omaha, which Omaha. to yeah. this day, if someone says Omaha, I, in my mind, every single time I say somewhere in middle America, <laughs> yep. like it is connected a hundred percent Omaha is somewhere in middle America. I, I don't know. I just, I love those, those details. And it's great for when you go on tour because yeah. anytime you're performing in those places, people are going to go nuts when they, when they hear their, yep. <laughs> their location called out. So it's, it's a win-win. Uh, so any final thoughts on the album uh, or where it stacks up with the rest of the discography in your mind, especially Mickey? Cause we haven't, I was going to say, I'd be curious where yeah. Mickey lands with this one. Yeah. Well, let's say, I do think we have to, I do want to acknowledge the bonus track for just a second. Kid thing. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel you like, guys yep. take away kid. Talk yep. about kid things all you want. I'm <laughs> okay. I feel like to me, the positive thing, it's a fun song. Like here's the thing about kid things. I love like the album starts rowdy. It starts with the feeling of like, it starts fun, sort of reverent. 
there's that sort of house party vibe. And I feel like kid things brings that back in a way that is kind of like, it, I mean, it, it's, it's like a true bonus track, right? It's yeah. not tied thematically. It doesn't mm-hmm. really seem like, but it's super fun. Like it starts with all that weird shit and then like, you know, messing around in the booth and doing voices and things. And then there's the yelling and the count off. And then this groove hits that feels like, it almost feels like, it feels like it could be like a black crow song. Yeah. So yeah, as opposed to like, it's like that sort of like Southern rock, Southern, you know, kind of funk kind of thing to it. And so I think it's a, it's a fun way to end it in that it, it's like, it's as rowdy and boisterous and fun. Um, but, but the distance in the, when you listen to it on the CD and the bonus track ca- kept it separate from, it was absurd. How yeah, long that was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it kept it pure of, you know, it kept the, the, you know, the Canon pure and then had some other things. So back in um, those days, I was like, my disc man doesn't have the, the battery, you know, to, to make it <laughs> yeah, to the end of this. Trying time. to fast, trying to actually fast forward to yeah. that. Like you'd accidentally skip the song yes, and yep. it would just restart. And then you have to restart yeah. it. And, yeah. yeah. What a nineties thing though. Yeah. Like I feel like half the albums in the nineties had the hidden track. <laughs> that was a, that was a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the hidden track. They, do, do artists do that anymore? Yeah, you know, I think it's impossible. It? Like, it was like really. the skits, the, the big things in the yeah. '90s were the hidden songs and like the skits between different songs. Like <laughs> that which, was a hip hop thing. It yeah. really was, which does not age well. When it's like, man, I just like I want to listen to the music. I don't need another like I, I don't need yeah. a three minute phone, recorded sketch. phone call. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like I have a lot of live albums too. It's like I don't need to hear the you know the first time I hear the three minute story to start it off is great. <laughs> Like now you want to get to the yeah, the yeah don't don't see Ariel Speedwagon then. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about the thing about kid things for me is there's only one Counting Crows album I'd say I don't like. I mean I like a couple songs on it, but it's somewhere under Wonderland. Like I love I love Palisades Park and I love yeah. Possibility Days. So the first song mm-hmm. and the last song. But the whole middle of that album sounds like kid things to me. Like <laughs> Scarecrow, Elvis went to Hollywood, cover up the sun, like I, yeah, I don't know. It's I, it's the right word, like rockabilly. Like it's kind of like a little countrified, but uh, it's kind of my least favorite mode. But when they're in, yeah, there. yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's probably like I, it ranks about the same for me. I was kind of like, and Palisades Park, I thought it was a masterpiece. I love that. Like, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. that's what makes. I yep. mean, it's like nine minutes, so it's kind of its own album. <laughs> <laughs> But I was happy like when I when they got back to like Butter Miracle Suite and with like here and and again sort of like change of scenery, him him living in Europe, you know, living in England for a while at a farmhouse kind of thing and spurred this whole new album and uh a lot of the imagery that you hear in the beginning of that. When yeah. I heard when so I heard Elevator Boots, well I was that. like Elevator Boots felt like okay, like I'm I'm in, I don't want to be ever be that fan who's like, just play the stuff I like and just don't ever <laughs> But it yeah. felt like it was them, but also an evolved version of them that I really that I really liked. So, Mickey, where does uh, Desert Life slot in with the rest of the discography? I mean, it's it's tough. I still feel like Satellites is probably like my favorite. I think it's I think it's still in the top slot for me, and I think this Desert Life probably ties for second with August, mm-hmm. and I think Hard Candy is probably third for me. But I but I, but like I said, I feel like all of those and with like. You know, with Saturday nights and Sunday mornings, even that top five could all be interchangeable depending on yeah, depending on the day. I, mean, I, I changed my mind in the last two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I mean that's the, that's the testament to the band, right? Like I could see doing you, know, I could do a episode on each album. Like they're so intricate and they take you on a different journey. Uh, for me, it's Desert Life, just like because I think Mrs. Potter's is my favorite Counting Crows song, and then you have High Life. 
Speedway, St. Robinson, the fun of hanging around. Uh, and for me, it's like, I, I don't skip anything. I might skip one or two on the other albums. Um, so it's a top maybe, spot for you. Yeah. Yeah. This week. If, uh, if coming hard candy two weeks ago. Yeah. If Counting Crows were going to go on tour and do that whole thing where they just play one album start to finish, what would it be? Would it be the same one that's your favorite album, or would mm. that be a completely different album that you'd actually want to hear? That's another. Them? That's another really good question. I also have a hot take on this too, where there's certain bands who I love in concert that I rarely listen to their album. Number one, be I will see Mumford and Sons in concert anytime they're within 200 miles of me. When is the last time I listened to a Mumford and Sons album from beginning to end? <laughs> Probably 10 years ago. But it's like, I know I'm yeah. going to have an amazing time in yeah. like two hours. Yeah. So to answer your question, I think that's probably where Hard Candy yep. will pull ahead mm-hmm. again. Yep. I want to hear those songs live. Yes. And like, there's so, so much beautiful piano and they're huge. Yeah. Whereas there's a lot of like, like again, like High Life and Speedway, like these little nuggets that I almost prefer to hear in my headphones. Yeah, like, the more intimate you yeah. it's about yeah, I completely And again, I I'm having beers with friends, we're hanging yeah. out. I don't know if that's the right venue to even hear Speedway. Yeah. But I love I would love to I'll put it on my headphones and just like be enveloped in that song. So that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Mickey? How about you, Mickey? Yeah, this is this is so funny that you brought this up because I posed this question on Twitter to people uh we were talking about like favorite, just favorite songs uh-huh. off of August. Like what's your favorite song yeah. off of August? And we're having this conversation with people and I asked, I posed it the same way. You've gone to see them in concert. They haven't played a single song from mm-hmm. August all night. And it's the last, it's the last encore. And then, you know, they're only <laughs> play. And the one yeah. person had a great response, which is like, well, you've already ruined the concert because they haven't played anything from August. <laughs> <laughs> it's already a bad guy. It's already a bad But I, for me, so then it would, for me, that song would be Rain King. Like that's the one song I'd want to hear mm. off of that. Right. Yeah. But so I think the record, I mean, Hard Candy, you made, you made a great case for Hard Candy just now for that, because it is like, it's got, it's got it all right. Yeah. It's got the big clothes. It's got up all night. It's got, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's, it really does. It's got American girls. It's got the rockers. It's got the big piano ballads. It's got the weird, you know, the weird synthy stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Your like frontier. Team, like, you made a great case for that being yeah. like the, the album. Butterfly like, in reverse. It really runs the gamut on yeah. everything. And it's it's almost like I'd say desert life is my, like the best headphones album. Like what am I going to want to listen to? Like real intimate wise yeah. and then widescreen wise, like hard candy. Because Hard Candy is one where that's a fun one to sing with the rest of the crowd around you as well. Yeah. And just kind of go all in, like, yeah. in a way. That, as much yeah. as I love High Life, I don't know if I'm, like, singing every lyric the way I am, like, <laughs> yeah. up all night or, you know, something <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. That'd, that'd be pretty difficult to pull off. <laughs> true, yeah. true. Uh, what about you, Well, this was, uh, this was awesome, guys. Yeah. I appreciate your time, and we should do this again sometime. Maybe maybe a Hard Candy Pods in our future. <laughs> I would uh, I would very much enjoy that, uh I actually can I and you can cut this out if you don't want this, but can I tell you what this had to go up against as far as other albums when this came out? Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I, I just want to share this because it. No, it we're blew leaving my, this in. Okay, because it it blew my mind um, when I was looking back. You know, knowing that you know again the the album came out on when albums used to come out on Tuesdays instead of Fridays, so it was released Tuesday, November second, nineteen ninety nine. So just as again, just just a level set at that time the number one song at that time was smooth by Santana featuring Rob Thomas of matchbox 20. So that was the number one song. I got some matchbox 20 episodes coming up. Uh, good, good. <laughs> uh, so that was the number one song, but the other albums that came out the exact same day 
Rage Against the Machine, Battle of Los Angeles mm. came out that same that same day, which again, Testify, oh. Gorilla Radio, Sleep Down the yeah. Fire, like, ama- like start to finish, that album just, it stands yeah. the test of time. Foo Fighters, There's Nothing Left to Lose also came out the same day. So Learn oh. to Fly. It was yeah. so like, and then this, this I'd love to hear if, if anyone actually cares about this, but Marcy Playground's follow-up album, Shapeshifter, also mm-hmm. came out the same day. And I actually feel this is a super underrated follow-up album um, to Sex and Candy, you know, the album that had that. Yeah, I had that, I had that one. So I St. bought Joe and the School Bus. Exactly, yes. Album. And so, like, I bought this and This Desert Life the exact same day at Best Buy yeah. when that came out. And then the other one that came out was Mariah Carey Rainbow, which had, like, Heartbreaker on it, and she covered yeah. a Phil Collins song. And everything. So, like, that's just when you look at five albums that came out the exact same Tuesday that were from like big artists and ended up like most of these albums, like, you know, went on to like kind of stand the test of time. Like, it's just wild because I don't, I can't picture that many like big albums coming out nowadays, like on the exact same weekend. They'd all be like, oops, so and so's coming out. I've got to wait, you know, another week or two. Yeah. It's just, this was in the real, the real heyday of CDs. Yeah. I think they peaked around like 2001 or 2002. It was like, they were at their absolute, absolute zenith right before Napster yeah. tore everything down. They, they could all they could all come out because like everyone had their six disc changers. So it's like okay, yeah. I can buy all six of these this weekend, and they'll or, all make your, it inside in my your six car. Disc did you have the thing that had like eighteen discs in it that <laughs> yeah. hung above your and, windshield? And you're like reaching behind your uh, the dr- yeah. your driver's seat to try to get your discs <laughs> yeah. out so you can switch it real quick yeah. when you're in traffic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The struggle was real. The struggle was real. <laughs> But no, I thought that was, that was wild, just like thinking of everything that came out, like when this was out. It's just such a different music time uh, back in those days. Yeah, what an era. <laughs> and also, like, I, I miss those days, too, because I, at a certain time, and I'm trying to remember exactly where it was in November of 99, but, but I was living in New York a lot of time, and there was, like, this great Virgin megastore downtown, and they had a listening stations. They had, like, like oh, 50 yes. listening stations. I love those. Yes. All, right? and, and, and I, the way I, you would discover new music for me, I would just, like, go in there and, you know, put headphones on. It's probably, you know, totally unsanitary now. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you're just going down the line, listening to those same sweaty headphones yeah. that other people have been listening to. Them. But, like, I really kind of missed that time, because it was, like, it was discovering music in a way that was different than and just like flipping through iTunes, there was something. Yeah, there, was yeah. some, there was something so much more special about it, and and just feel like tactile and, and interesting, fun. Like I, I, I miss those days, and especially like the big those days when you come home with an armful of stuff, and you yeah. know you got a whole fresh you know rack of this yeah. in your six disc changer, and you're, you're like good to go. <laughs> you'd you'd regret eighty percent of those of, purchases, but the, the twenty percent that you you know were, were the greatest. <laughs> it was such a different era of buying music. I remember I read a review of another one of my favorite bands, Jimmy Eat World. I had never heard of them and I hadn't even heard them on the radio, but I read a review in Rolling Stone that made it sound so good. I'm like, I know this is going to be up my alley. And I bought Bleed American and, you know, have loved them ever yeah. since. If I can't imagine doing something like that now, like yeah. I've never heard this before, but I'm going to spend $15 on this. The CD. surprise and delight discovery yeah. that just going through some of those, you know, like yeah. listening to it or like, and yeah. also like the Sam Goody and Camelot stores would have, you know, somebody, they would just have like a little 15 second clip that you'd play out loud yeah. there too. And it's like either of course, way. We have to like, remember that we can't be all nostalgic. Remember the downside of buying something and that sinking feeling in your gut when you're like, I only like the one song I've heard on the radio. <laughs> yeah. And now I have this and I don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. The spaghetti incident <laughs> when on yeah. Guns N' Roses, that was mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was a rough one. I think the side for that for me though, was like one day I was in, when I was in college at university of Cincinnati conservatory music and my, uh, the head of my department came up to me one day and he was like, and I bought the CD and I don't care for it, but I think you might 
find him interesting. And it was uh, Jeff Buckley's Grace. Mm-hmm. And like I took it home and it blew my mind, like changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so I was the beneficiary of somebody who bought it, was like, I don't get this at all. <laughs> and handed it on to me. And, and I've been like, he's been a constant companion yeah. over the years now. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that stuff. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for your time. This was fun. Uh, let's all do it again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Normally, I get asked to do like uh, screenwriting pods and things yeah. like that, too. But this is so fun. I'm uh, so glad to do this one. We're glad to have you. It's good Good to see you again after all these years. Let's, let's not let another uh, however many years it's been go by. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. See awesome. everyone later. Thanks, Rob. Later, yeah, guys. Have a good night.